The New Testament from the book of Hebrews. We're reading from chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is a trend that is on the rise in Christianity today that you probably heard about or maybe even read about or maybe you've experienced it yourself. Just like this article here from the National Post about a survey that uh, claims that while church attendance among Canadians plunges, belief in God stays nearly the same. Barna, the researcher, calls these individuals those who love Jesus, but not the church. Now, in a different article online, this article claims that this trend, this attitude, is connected with Christian atheism. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's cool. Christian atheism. When you believe in God, but not His church. So essentially... This particular attitude about God and the church is literally what it means to be spiritual, but not religious. More and more Christians today who profess love for God refuse to be a part of the body of Christ. They refuse to be active members of the church. Now, this can be attributed perhaps to perhaps two reasons why they think this. First, they believe that the church has no utility for them. They have no use for the church. The church is not important to them and to their daily life. Secondly, they they believe that, they believe this way because they have been hurt by the church. They have had a bad experience with the church or maybe even a bad experience with other Christians other members of the church. They share the same sentiment as Mahatma Gandhi. Do you guys remember what he said? Mahatma Gandhi said, and I quote, I like Christ, but not Christians. Your Christians do not look like anything like your Christ. Do you remember he said that? So this morning I would like to address this faulty attitude that you can have a deep relationship with God, that you can love God, but not the church, and not have a relationship with the church. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of the church. The church is the called ones, the called out ones of God. The church is the family of God, and the church is the, 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 the body of Christ. And because of that, the church is very important to God. And if it's very important to God... It is very important to us. So this morning we are going to remind ourselves of the importance of the church. So we don't fall into that faulty attitude that, well, you know, I'm for God, but not the church. Okay. And what we're going to do at the end briefly is to understand what this, what the significance of the church looks like, practically speaking, today in our Christian life. For us to understand the importance of the church we need to understand a very important theme 
in the Bible. And this important theme in the Bible that's really related to the importance of the church is the kingdom of God. The concept is very simple. When you, you think about a kingdom, okay, think about a kingdom, you think about two things. First, you think about the place or the realm or the dominion. And then you think about the second thing that's important for a kingdom is there's, there's a ruler or a king that rules or reigns over that place or over that dominion, over the people. It's the same thing with God. His kingdom is where his rule and reign is, is, uh, is present. Now, Jesus Christ tells us a definition of the kingdom of, of, of God that is easy for us to understand. Do you guys remember the Lord's Prayer? How many of you guys have heard of the Lord's Prayer? Pretty much all of us, right? So if, if, if we recite it, you guys can recite it with me, right? Our Father in Heaven. What's the next? Holy be your name. There you go. That's, that's, that's Jesus Christ's definition of kingdom. The king, your kingdom come, your will be done. What is, what happens when his kingdom is here? His will is done. God's kingdom is wherever his will is done. Where? On earth. As it is in heaven. God's kingdom is anywhere where his reign is characterized by his will being done. On earth as it is in heaven. That's it. It's a really cool definition. Now, the kingdom of God is everywhere in scripture. Specifically in the account of creation. Okay? Remember when God created the whole universe? He is essentially creating his kingdom because he is ruler of everything. He is ruler of the universe. He is ruler of the earth. He made his kingdom the way that he wanted to make it. Remember? When he saw that, you know, the, what, the fishies were swimming and the flowers were, what, flowers were growing. Uh, what else is there? Birdies, uh, sw- uh, birdies fly when the birdies are flying and you and I, you know what he said after he saw all of that? He said this. It was very good. Because he created his kingdom. And I love it because kingdom, the, the, the kingdom language appears in, in all of this. Specifically when he created human beings. So when he created human beings, we, we've seen this before, but I want us to think about his kingdom when we look at when he created human beings. Because it's a huge part of his kingdom when he created human beings. Look at it. G- Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let's stop there. Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. What does it mean that we are made in God's image? Well, it says that on the screen right there. The reason why God wanted to make humans in his image is so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Do you guys see the kingdom language in that? Rule. Reign. God is overall in charge of the world, but since he loves us so much, we are his best creation, human beings. 
Not dogs, not cats, although they're cool. Human beings are his best creation. Okay? And he loves us so much that he gave us himself. He gave us his image. He gave us the ability to rule on his behalf. Remember? He even gave us the ability to reproduce. To be sort of a little creator. But not the creator, but a little creator. When we make kids, right? God could have just said, you know what? I'm going to make kids. Every time I snap my fingers, there's going to be kids popping up. He didn't say that. I would like to partner with my creation, human beings, so they will be able to produce them. That is the image of God that is in us. Okay? We are able to do this. And he charged Adam and Eve to do that, to rule and dominate and fill the earth on on behalf of God. We have that ability. But we remember what happened to Adam and Eve, right? They sinned. You know, you know, you know, you know how they sinned? They essentially said, and we learned this from Miles last week, they said, you know what? God, your kingdom, your rule over us, we don't want it. We want us to rule ourselves, not you rule us. We want to be like, we want to be God. Okay, forget you, yay me. I want to rule myself according to my own standards and according to my own understanding. This is the crux and the essence of sin. Okay, sometimes we look at sin, oh, you swore, you sinned. Uh, you didn't pay your taxes properly, you sinned, or you, you cheated, you sinned. It's true, those are all sins, but the whole essence of that is that we do things by ourselves and for ourselves, not for God. We work around in this whole world, we move around, we work, we do things for, for ourselves, not for Him. That is the whole essence of sin. That is what Adam and Eve did. And since the dawn of that time when sin entered the world, we have been doomed. That's the biggest problem that we have in this world. That is why the Apostle Paul tells the Roman church in chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when we sin, it didn't mean that we're not, we, we became animals all of a sudden. Though we're not able to do good things, we're still able to do good things. In fact, there's many Christians, many non-Christians out there who don't believe in God, who have no time for God or for His church, who do so many amazing things. But the difference is, they are doing that for themselves. They're not doing it for God. That's the difference. And that is sin. It doesn't matter if what they're doing is good. They're feeding the poor. They're do- Remember when Jesus Christ told people in Matthew, I believe it's in chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to do? Who's going to come in? Those who do the will of my Father. If you're not doing things for Him, you're doing things for yourself, I don't know who you are. It doesn't matter if you're doing so many good things. You're not in my kingdom. My rule is not alive in your heart. You are not, you are not allowing my dominion to be over you. You're allowing your own dominion to be over yourself. Now, before we get there, what did Jesus do? What did God do then after the fall, after sin came into the earth? Well, Jesus, God went to work right away. 
He went to work in a way that would restore human beings back to him. That has been his whole mission. And there's a book that has been written about that. It's called the Bible. The Bible is about our relationship with God. It's chronicled right there how the holy God does not give up. He pursues the human beings that he loves so much. Even though we constantly do what Adam and Eve did, you know, kick him out of the place and say, I don't like you. I don't want to be in your kingdom. I want to be in my own kingdom. He always comes back to us. He made covenants with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham. And this covenant with, covenant with Abraham is really huge in, for us in understanding the importance of the kingdom of God. Because here he establishes his reign in people's hearts once again. But in the, in the person of the people of Israel. Exodus 19, 5-6. Pay attention to the kingdom language here. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Do you see that? What is the kingdom of God? Where his reign and rule is alive. When you are obeying him fully, then his kingdom is in... But you are in his kingdom. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be called out of the world. Although you are in the world, you are separate from them because you're holy. You're not like them. You're mine. And out of all these people in the world, you will do my will. You will work and rule for me the way I want you to work and rule for me. So you'll be ruling and working on my, for, on my behalf. That is the whole nation of Israel. Now, um, there you go. So, this worked for a time. Israel... You know, it was good for Israel for a time until it wasn't good for Israel anymore. You know what I'm saying? They too wanted out of the kingdom of God. They want to do what Adam and Eve did. Okay? And it came to a head when the Israelites said, you know what, God, we don't want you as our king. You know what we want? We want us to rule ourselves. We want a human king, just like the other nations in, or on earth. And Samuel, the prophet, was distraught. He was the intermediary between God and the people of Israel at the time. And he was, he was sad that Israel was trying to do this. And he talked to God about it. But you know what he told God? Uh, what, what God told Samuel? God told Samuel this. Listen to all that the people are saying to you. If they want a king, they'll get a king. But listen to this. It is not you they have rejected. But they have rejected me as their king. That's sin. Remember? The whole essence of sin. They want out of the kingdom of God. As God has designed it. But here's the good news. The good news is that God continued to work. So that our relationship with him will be restored. Just like what it was in the, in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were. He wanted that. He's always wanted that. And that is what he will get at the end of the day. That's why in the Old Testament, 
there's this, there's this thing that God prophesied, that, that God promised and was prophesied by the prophets saying that, yes, this kingdom is going to be a reality once again. My kingdom come and it's going to be on earth as it is in heaven. Look at Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Do you guys remember this? Do you guys remember who the virgin was? Yeah, that was, that was Mary. And that Emmanuel, meaning God with us, like literally God being on earth, walking around with us, that's Jesus. And Isaiah wasn't done, okay? God told Isaiah to say this to people as well. Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. Again, note the kingdom language here. For to us, a child is born. To, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. Reign, David's throne, government. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. God will reign. God will rule. His kingdom will come through this Messiah, through Jesus Christ. Christ or Messiah in Hebrew means the anointed one. It essentially means king. King Jesus is going to come. And he's going to establish the kingdom of God once again on earth. Where his kingdom will be those individuals that reign and rule and work in the world on his behalf. Not for ourselves, but for him. Now, there's a problem though. Because the Jewish people didn't understand that. The people in Israel didn't understand. They thought, well, this Messiah was going to come in. He's going to be rich. Not born on a manger. He's going to be a king or a prince, not a carpenter. And he's going to have big walls and big cities established to fight the Romans. But that's not the kingdom of God. Jesus told Pilate when he was about to be crucified this fact. John 18 verse 36. Jesus tells us that his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. His followers don't fight and protest like that. Because they understand that it's not a physical kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Maybe that's part of the reason why the church is not important to people. Because it's not physical. They get trapped and tripped by this idea that, well, it's got to be a big place. It's got to be nice. You know? It's got to be comfy. It's got to be air conditioning. It has to be just right. Can't have ugly carpet. I mean, the carpet here is nice. It's, it's, not, it's not ugly. Right? It's not of this world. It's not physical. It's spiritual. Now, we have to understand, if it's not physical, if it's spiritual, then what does Jesus do? What does this kingdom of God through Jesus do? Well, Jesus does two things as he establishes his kingdom. 
And we heard this from Martha's sermon last week. First, Jesus establishes his kingdom by saving us for something, from something. Okay? And then Jesus establishes his kingdom by saving us for something. That's the complete gospel right there. It's not half. Sometimes people are accustomed to hearing one part of the gospel. Oh, you're going to go to hell. You got to be baptized if you don't want to go to hell. That's one part. You're saved from the number one problem that we have, which is sin. But you're also saved for a special purpose. Okay? That is how we need to teach our kids and everybody else around us about the kingdom, about the gospel, about salvation that God has through Christ. Now, God saves us from our sins. First and foremost. Because that's our problem. With sin, we do things for ourselves, not for God. God needs to save us from that before we can save us for something. Okay? So, we understand as well that Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we get that? Well, remember John 3.16? Do you guys memorize it? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I see you guys mouthing it, right? That he, what? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in what he's done in his kingdom? That is huge. You know what the early church did when they believed in Jesus? You know what they did? This is what they did. You've seen this verse before, but this is what they did. Uh, this is what they, so not that. This is what they did. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins. What's the number one problem that we have? Sin. What was Jesus' plan so that this sin will be eradicated from our lives? I don't know why he said this, but he said it. Be baptized. And at that point, when you get baptized, you know what he does? He just doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be beside you every time. No, no. I'm going to be inside your body. I'm going to be with, I'm going to be with you like in you. You will receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. He will reside in you. You will have the same power that raised Jesus from the, from the, from the grave living inside you. What an amazing promise that God has given us. That's why the Apostle Paul is able to say this in Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized have put on Christ. Now that's huge. Because when you put on Christ, it means that, you know, you have to take off your old self. That's what baptism was for. You, you, you come in, you die with Christ. And when you raise from the dead, you are born again. You are your new self. Your old self has died. You have put on Christ and your old self dies. Now, your old self dying doesn't happen overnight. Okay? And again, we're going to touch on this later, but this is one of the biggest things about the church. That's how church is important for us. Because leaving the life of sin... It's not easy. We can't do it on our own. We need the church for that. Okay? Look at uh, what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Colossae in 
chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. There's just a sampling of the sins that the Apostle Paul enumerated here. Anger. Rage. Okay? How many of you guys have done that? Have you guys still struggle with that? I do. I do. But the difference is, I'm struggling. You see? I'm struggling. I'm not going, you know what? Forget you. Forget your kingdom. It's my kingdom. I am this. I am an angry person. So take it or leave it. I don't have to be like that. I struggle. Because I don't want to be like that. I want to do it for God, not for me. Right? Anger, rage, malice. Do you guys do some, something sometimes with an ulterior motive? That, that's malice. Right? Malice. Slander. Do you talk badly about other people when they're not there? That's a sin. Filthy language. When you guys bump your head on, on the wall or on, you guys say bad things sometimes. The Apostle Paul tells us, put that off. And he says, don't lie to each other. And the reason is because you have taken off your old self. And you have put on Jesus Christ, your new self. That's huge. Because remember what happened when when Adam and Eve sinned? That image of God in them was broken. We don't have the image of God. We, we fell short of the glory of God if we sin. We can't do, even though I say, you know what, I'm not going to be a Christian, but I'm going to be, I'm going to serve, I'm going to feed the poor, I'm going to, I'm going to clothe the, the naked, I'm going to visit people in the hospital, in the jail, I'm going to, I'm going to be a philanthropist. Doesn't matter. You know why? Because the image of God is not in you. Jesus is not in you. That's God in you. You have to have that so that God can restore his image back in you so we can do stuff in this world for him, not for ourselves. That's the kingdom of God in us. It's significant because all the people that said yes to Jesus, you're going to be my Lord over my life, has been added to the church because they were saved. And that is when we start to be saved for something, for a special purpose. Now we understand, I'm going to skip a little bit here, that that special purpose was this core mission of the church, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations. This is the last thing that Jesus Christ said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Last words count for something, right? Very important. Baptizing them. Remember baptism? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because that's how you get into the kingdom. But it doesn't end there. Remember, there's two parts. You're saved from something then you're saved for something. Teach them. After that, teach them everything that I have commanded you. Because I want these people to be like me. 
I want these people to be like my son, Jesus Christ. I want them to put on Christ. I understand it doesn't happen overnight, so teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Okay, when we talk about everything that I commanded you, sometimes, you know, you read this and you go, well, that's hard. Do we have to have a list? You know what I'm saying? Is there a list that we can look at to make sure I do all of it and not do all of it? Rules are hard. Right? You guys know rules? You know, last Friday, we had the kids club. And, and we love kids club because, you know, especially when it's at Amir and Kristen's, because, you know, it's at Kid City, right? The parents love that because we can just chat and play games while the kids are playing over there. It's awesome. So we're playing games, and you know what happened? We got into like an animated discussion about rules of this board game that we were playing. Because we don't like rules. And there's one or two people in there that were like, oh yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. No, 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 like, you know. But we also understand that without rules, there's not going to be a game. So there's a balance, right? You know, Jesus Christ, being the amazing God and leader that he is, he gave us that balance. He boiled down his commandment to us, commandments to us into one thing, one rule. Do you guys know what that rule is? I want to hear it. What is that rule? I want you guys to say it. What is that rule? Love. Love. Look at this. I'm not, we're not making that up. Look at this. Wait, there. Okay? When, when, when somebody asked Jesus, what's the best law in the Bible? What is the number one law that we're supposed to do? So, well, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. As human beings... We are composed of heart, soul, heart, soul, mind, and body. And he says, well, love God with that. Not just with your left hand. Not just with your one ear. Not just with your one foot in the church and another foot in the world. Love God with everything that you have. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's the better commandment than that? Well, there is no commandment greater than these. The rule of life for the kingdom of God is love. When you're about to do something and you think, well, is this helpful? Is this going to serve the people around me? Is this going to serve me or is this going to serve God and the people around me? That's love. Love is sacrificial. Love is unconditional. You don't go, well, I wanted to do this for you, but because you did that, not doing that anymore. Could you imagine if God did that to us? We won't be here today. So remember, love is very important in the kingdom of God. This is the reason why 2 Peter 2.9, we are told that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you guys remember what God's covenant was with Israel? Earlier we saw that. Sounds like this, right? Because the church is the physical manifestation of God's kingdom on earth. 
His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Here in the church, we do His will. Not our own will. That is why we are supposed to declare the praises of Him. We're supposed to declare, proclaim the goodness of God who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. That is why God called us to make disciples. It's connected to this. That is the kingdom of God that is specifically connected with the church. Now, God's kingdom is important. And I understand a lot of times we are sidetracked because we see the imperfections of members of the church, of the church in general. I don't know if you guys remember in the mid-90s in Rwanda. Do you guys remember there's a, there's a genocide there? Do you guys remember? You know, Linda used to have students when we were, in, when we were somewhere in Canada. I don't remember where. But her students were, you know, I learned about this from them. Because the genocide happened. There was Tutsis and Hutus, right? The Tutsi population, was they were the... They were the 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 minority but they ruled the place they were the rich people there the tutsis the hutus hutus they were like 90 90 of the people and they're like the poor people generally and what they did was you know what we're gonna have an uprising we're gonna kill all of these tutsi minority and they did eight hundred thousand of them they killed but some of the people there Right? Some of the people in the church, they were like ministers and priests and pastors. They called the Tutsis that were running, yeah, come over here in the church building. We're going we're gonna to keep you here. They kept them there. But you know what many of them did? Remember, these are church leaders. You know what many of them did? They went over to the rebels and said, hey, you know what? There are some Tutsi people hiding in my church building. You want to go, go and burn the church building? They did. And some of the class, some of the students that Linda had said, because of that, I will never be in the church. Brothers and sisters, that is not the church. That is not the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of those people who did that. They didn't do that for God. They did that for themselves. So I implore all of us, the church is important for you. And now I want to I I spend a little bit of time to tell us how this applies to us today. What you can do, what I can do, to make sure that we understand that the importance of the church is not just something that we know about. It's something that really, it really convicts us to do something about it. If we are important, if we are the manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth then what does it look like? Okay? Our scripture reading today is one thing that it looks like. Look at this. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Okay? few things. First, let's motivate one another. How do we do that? Well, think of ways to do it. There's not just one way of motivating people. Think of ways. 
One way is your example. That's, I, in my mind, that's the best way. Your example. But there's a catch. If you're going to be a motivation to your kids, to your spouse, to the church, to your classmates, to your co-workers, to your neighbors, you have to be a good example first and foremost to yourself. You have to know what God says. You have to work on yourself first. You have to be able to put away the sins that we talked about earlier. Because if we're not being a good example, I'm telling you, we're being a bad example. Okay? Motivate. Think. And that has this idea that it is, it is proactive. It's not just someone, if I have time, I guess I'll do it. It is intentional. Think of ways to do it. Okay? Next, we need to, uh, uh, what do we motivate each other to do? Well, towards, well, love. Remember? Love. What? Love. God's number one character that He wants us to become is love. That's why that's what the church does. Motivate us to become like Jesus. And how do we show that, that we love? Well, good works. But I gotta tell you, okay? When we talk about good works, a lot of times, you know, people look at this and go, good works. Oh, feed the poor, clothe the, the naked, right? Visit the sick. Those are good things. But remember, you don't have to be a Christian to do those. What separates us from doing that and being, and, and doing this and doing that for God? Okay? We have to understand from what we've seen in the kingdom of God, we have to understand that the kingdom of God is not just physical. It is spiritual. What is the spiritual aspect of, of that? The best thing that we, that we can do for others is to help them trust and follow Jesus. That is the kingdom. It has to be alive in their hearts. They have to be part of that kingdom. So the number one thing that we can do, like in, in, in the Greek, the word for good is not just like medium, mediocre. Good is like, better is, is better than meat and good, right? And there's also the best. So we can only do the good. No. Literally, if you translate it, acts of love and ideal works. Ideal works. The best works. The best work that we can do for God is our discipleship. Following God. You know, back in those days, in North America, there were no fences in the 1800s. But there were so many cattle farmers. Do you guys know how they branded their cows? So every season, they would go out, and all of a sudden, their cows have, like, calves. And they have to brand them. But since there are no, like, every, every, it's, it's like, they graze everywhere. All the cattle farms, you know, their, their cattle is intermingled. How do they know who their cow, you know, who their cows belong to if they're not branded? Do you guys know how? They'd go there every season, they would just brand. And they know exactly what to brand. It's cool. You know why? Because they see their calves, they see the things that are not following, that, that, that are, that are not, the, the cows that are not branded. They're just following their own people, their own cows. If this, if, 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 uh, if there's a herd, right, and there's cows that are not branded in there, you know that that cow that's not branded belongs to that herd, to that owner, because the majority of that herd is branded 
with that owner's brand. So they just brand it like that. The idea is, who do we follow? Who do you follow? People know who you follow. And that is the best work that we can do for our love for God. Now, we also have to encourage one another. And when we encourage one another, we have to understand. I like what what the Apostle Paul said here. You have to encourage one another and you have to be there to do it. You have to be together to be able to do it. You have to be physically there. See, love is not something that we can do in our basements. In our own homes, in the comfort of the four walls of our house. We do that here. And when we say meeting together, it's not just Sunday mornings. It's whenever we meet together to encourage one another. See, if you're having problems with your relationships, if you're having problems with your spouse, with your kids, with people at work, don't deal with it by yourself because you're going to lose your mind. The church is here for that. Don't just be a lone ranger Christian. It doesn't work. God does not have that as, 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 as a view or design for the church. You know, in our congregation, we have small groups. And in our small groups, we develop such deep relationships that I, one of your full-time ministers in this congregation, could be discipled in that small group. I am being discipled in that small group. In that small group, I tell people what I struggle with. And they hold me accountable to change. If nobody's holding you accountable, you're going to go to get out of here after this sermon. You're going to go drive. Oh, that was a good sermon. It's pretty cool. I should change this, this, and that. That's good. But then the next morning you forget. And you're back at square one. Nothing changes. Because you're not in a relational discipling environment. That's what Jesus did when he was on earth. Okay? So let us remember, brothers and sisters, that the church is the kingdom of God here on earth. And we have to understand as well that we can't just say that, you know, we can't think small. Don't just think that, oh, I'm just a member of the local church. Think bigger. Because if you just think that you're a member of a local church, it's easy to just say, well, I'm not going to go. Or it's a, it's, a, it's a lower priority. Or let, just look what some people here saying in this verse. I can just forsake the church. Think bigger. Instead of just thinking that you're a member of the church. It's true you're a member of the church, but think bigger. Think instead, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because when we say that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, you know what happens? We can't forsake that. We can't just put it on the side. I know that I have a king that is in charge over me and that I am one of his servants. I am one of his subjects. And I am one of his people. So, in our song, thank you for learning how to lead this, Bamidele. In our song, I want us to sing it loudly and with conviction. The song of invitation today is a prayer. For God to build his kingdom here. Let's stand and sing.